Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we're going to have a really interesting show today because we have a, a dear friend who works for us on the show, and we're going to talk about riding through loss. And I wanted to tell people this show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, but also in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. Well, Heidi, you want to introduce our guest today? I'd love to, Mom. And like you said, Neil Chaffick, who is our, our guest today, is an integral part of Open to Hope. He has been working with us as our executive editor for the Open to Hope Foundation for over seven years, and he knows all of our authors very well. Neil is also the author of the book, Father Loss, How Sons of All Ages Come to Terms with the Deaths of Their Dads. He is also a brief sibling, and in 2011, his brother Peter died at the age of 55 after 35 years of mental illness. Neil is, like I said, a part of the Open to Hope family, and we would not be where we are today without him. We are honored to have him here today. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you so much to both of you, Gloria and Heidi. It's great to be on the show. You know, it's kind of interesting. It's seven years, so we've kind of lived through a lot of changes in Open to Hope. And, you know, I was curious. You wrote the book Father Loss. We had you on our show years ago, and that's kind of how we met you regarding father loss. And I wondered, what things did you find out in your research? Yeah, father loss, I wrote in 2000, or was published in 2001, um, but I did about three or four years of research leading up to it. I'm a journalist by trade, and so mostly what I did was I interviewed people. And the book is about men's grief lives, and so uh, all the interviews were of men who had lost their fathers sometime prior to our conversation. Sometimes that was 50 years before the conversation, and sometimes it was just a few weeks after that I talked to them. And then we also did a national survey of men, 300 men, and asked them numerous questions about their relationships with their fathers and the deaths of their fathers and how they responded to that death. You know, I think the most important thing I learned was that this loss, the death of a man's father, tends to be the biggest loss of his life, the most impactful loss of his life at the point that it happens. You know, it affects men, particularly when they're younger. Boys, their lives are changed radically forever. Young adult men who lose their fathers often lose someone who's very important to them, even in their ongoing development. By middle age, it's a little bit different, and the loss often signals their own mortality and starts to change the way they think about their own lives. And many men who lose their fathers in middle age, you know, go on to change the way they're living. And then finally, older men who lose their fathers, when usually when they're very old, that has a different kind of impact and often not as, you know, severe. Do you find, are they able to grieve these losses? Overall, they are. I went into the research thinking, you know, men don't seem to grieve very well. They don't cry that much. They don't show their emotions that much. There must be something wrong with that. And, you know, the more I went in and dug and asked men and talked to them and, and studied the literature, the more I realized that men do grieve losses. They just don't do it in a way that most of us see as grief. So when we hear of a man, for example, one of the men I interviewed went into his father's woodshed after the death um, and then built his father's urn out of the wood that his father had left behind. That was grieving for this man. Mm -hmm. um, he never cried after the death. Um, it just didn't affect him in that way. Um, or he didn't have ready access to tears. You know, a lot of men have been told since they were about one year old 
that boys don't cry or big boys don't cry. And so that's usually sort of socialized out of us. And so we need other ways. But what I found was that we find other ways, and they tend to be more active, more thinking-oriented. Sometimes they'll think about their fathers a lot, and there's something that happens in that thinking process. Or they'll, they'll wear an article of their father's clothing or his watch or ring, and there's something about that as a touchstone each day that allows the grief to gradually dissipate. So overall, I've found that men do grieve. They just don't grieve necessarily the way women grieve. Well, Heidi, we've certainly heard that, haven't we? Absolutely, Mom. It reminds me so much of so many of the guests we've had on that said that they, like you said, Neil, they, were, they talked about their thoughts versus their feelings, and they did, you know, activities. I love the idea of the activities being touchstones, like wearing rings or watches or as my mom knows, building building things. A lot of men go and build things with their friends, and they don't necessarily have conversations around the people that have died. They just are there with them to support them. Neil, your brother Peter died not too long ago, and I wondered, did you see a difference in the kind of grief that your family had over Peter as compared with the men had over the death of a father? Well, that's an interesting thought. Um, I think, yes, my mother and father were still alive, and so they dealt with my brother's death in the way that any parent deals with the death of a child, even an adult child. Of course, my brother had been mentally ill for many years and had increasingly lost some of his you know, faculties over the last three or four years of his life, but it still was a devastating blow to them. And as a sibling, I felt a lot, and I noticed that I grieved in many ways the way men tended to grieve their fathers. I kept pictures of my brother. I used them as touchstones. I tried to connect with his memory as often as possible. Um, and really, it was what I had learned from the men I had talked to. Because for me, crying doesn't come easily either. But I, of course, have suffered a lot of losses. And so I've always found other ways to express that grief and to release the, the emotion or to release the tension that has grown up inside of me. You know, Bob Bauer, one of the people that we've had on before and a friend, he's a psychologist. He does a workshop at Compassionate Friends every year, and he does it on crying. And one of the things that does come up about it is there is some hormonal relevance. Women tend to have a lot more oxytocin, which is kind of the love hormone because of milk let down and that kind of thing. Sometimes men are not biologically as set up to cry as much as women are. It doesn't come with as much ease. Yeah, I've read the literature on crying across cultures, and out of 80 cultures in one study, there was only one in which men cried more than women. And that's an indication that there's something beyond social you mm -hmm. know, mores, that it has something to do with the biology. And if you think about it, when you know, if you go back many, many generations, even thousands of years, to the early humans, you know, if, if men were at the exterior of the camp, basically, they were repelling. If somebody died next to them, you know, and this goes all the way into modern war, you can't stop and cry. The ones who survived, in a way, the survival of the fittest were the ones who were, you know, less emotional in that moment. Not to say they wouldn't be emotional later, but that, that would be even rewarded, I think. Well, Neil, you have read, like, 5,000 articles on our site, I swear. Haven't you? Do, you? do you have any idea how many articles you've read? Yes, I think 
we have uh, somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 on the on the site, and I would have read just about every one of them, yes. I love to tell people that our site is totally vetted, because I think that's so important to our listeners. We vet it, and then, and then you tag it for content, right, and work with the authors? Right, right. Yeah, I let people express themselves as much as they want in their own voice, but I try to make sure that they're understandable and that, you know, they're grammatically correct and that, you know, someone who reads it will benefit from it. Most of our writers are experienced and they're really know how to write. So they've been giving us wonderful content for all these years. So, um, we've been so Neil, very- looking at what you've read, I'm wondering what have men said that have written on the site and written in general and that you've interviewed, what have they said has worked in helping them find hope again after a loss? Because like you said, they do grieve differently than women. What have worked? Has it been just doing active things, or what has worked for them? You know, as you know, that's the hardest thing in the world to to nail down because, you know, Mm -hmm. every single person's grief is unique. Um, But I do think the one thing that's really important for men is not to double wham themselves by saying, wow, I'm not crying. There must be something wrong with me. That's not mm-hmm. the first place to go. Um, I found that only 60% of men cried over the deaths of their fathers, but, that, but 98% of them cared that their fathers died. You know, So it's very common for men to not cry or to not show grief in the same way. So just as long as they watch for what's going on in their life. Is their marriage getting worse? Are their relationships with kids? Is their work? Are they unable to, you know, focus? Or do they feel depressed? That's when you should be concerned. But I do think that men do tend to do things more. So the men that I talk to who do go out and, you know, uh, do something in honor of their fathers, you know, it get involved in an organization for prostate cancer or, you know, create their own organization for it's something related to what their father loved to do. Just some way of staying connected to the memory of the person who has died. Now, would you say that for if you've lost a child, too, that you want to do the same kinds of activities? I would think so. I mean, I haven't studied that myself, but everything I've read from those who have lost children is don't forget this person. It's not, you know, don't say, well, we're just going to have to put it behind us and move on. That's not um, usually an effective way to go. And, and it almost always will come back and require some attention. I just read a new research study that showed that continuing bonds with more important for a brief sibling than any other kind of loss. So we mm-hmm. felt the need to continue bonds with our siblings and to do something in their memory and as a tribute to them throughout our life. And that mm-hmm. is certainly true of me. And one of the things I did with my brother, and this was helpful for me, when he, when he died, I took a picture of him that we had actually from a time before he was ill, but when I was closest to him. And I'm not a big artist or anything, but I love to sketch. And so I did a sketch of his 
space, and it took me many hours um, because you're, you know, shading just a little bit here and a little bit there, and you're erasing that and putting the, you know, and every hair is in place. But it was uh, a really therapeutic process for me to actually be that close to him and that much into the movement of his eyes and his nose and how did his mouth was that set and and here's what he looked like so it was like i was right in his face um for you know day after day and that helped me a lot you know that's interesting to me neil because that's kind of building in a way when you do a piece of art you kind of build so again you're doing that uh, instrumental well i know you're you said you were working on a project now what are you working on as far as writing oh um i'm working on a, a one project um on presidents and their fathers, the relationship between the presidents and their fathers, and whether there's something about the father relationship with the son um, that makes it more likely, less likely, or that somehow influenced or shaped the son. And just right off the bat, immediately you begin to, you can see, just if you look at Barack Obama, he's got a father who he barely knew. If you look at George W. Bush, he had a father who was president of the United States. You look at mm-hmm. Bill Clinton, he had a father he didn't know who died before he was born. And then the Kennedys, and, you know, there's so many uh, interesting stories to be told there. So I enjoy history as well as psychology, and, and so I'm kind of combining the two and seeing if there's a book and all that. Oh, awesome. I'd love to see if there's themes and patterns among all these father-son relationships. Right. And I just want to right. say one more thing. You know, you said you said earlier the most impactful loss in a life for a, a boy, you know, a man as a father, and it certainly was the case when my husband lost his father. And one of the things he said, and he was in his 30s at the time when his dad died, is, you know, I, everything I've ever done in my life is to make my father proud, and my father's no longer here. Right. So that was the person that he really wanted to make proud. That was his go-to person. You know, the father-son bond is so incredible. Well, Neil, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I just want to tell people who are listening to this show that if you're a writer and you want to write about grief, loss, hope, and healing through Open to Hope, you can go to our site and go down to Write for Us, and you'll be put in touch with Neil Chethick, which all of our writers absolutely adore, Neil, don't they, Heidi? They absolutely do and know him well and, you know, know him through cyberspace. So um, he, like I said, he's an integral part of of Open to Hope and of making us what we are today. Thanks, Neil, for everything you do for us and for our writers and for all those people out there that are trying to find hope. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity all these years to do this. I've enjoyed it and continue to and look forward to working with anybody who listens to this who'd like to write. And if you want to get his book, Father Loss, How Sons of All Ages Come to Terms with the Deaths of Their Dads, you can look for it on Amazon and you can Google Neil Chethik's name. So thanks again for being on the show, Neil. Well, Heidi, um, some interesting points Neil made for men. I think uh, don't say that there's something wrong if I don't cry. You know, it's okay. Because I think that we hear women all the time saying, my husband doesn't cry. Is he okay? I mean, society thinks that you have to cry, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of judgment. Yeah. Why are you not grieving? Because they equate grieving to crying, like you said. And the other thing for me, the takeaway was, you know, maybe not asking men how they're feeling, but asking them how they're doing. Uh, I like that, how they're doing. Because we constantly ask people how they're feeling. Right. You know, and that might be a weird word for a lot of men. And Neil also brought up a really good point. It's not whether you're crying or not, but look at your activities of daily living. Are they impacted? Are you not doing things that you used to do? Or is the person you love not doing the things that they used to do? That's looking more at that activity. And uh, it's important. 
I think you made that last wonderful point about don't forget them. We we don't want to forget them. And you were talking about continuing bonds, Heidi. Absolutely. Our, they live on forever in our lives. Absolutely. Regardless of how long people are gone. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. And please uh, remember that Heidi and I are here. And if you have lost hope, please lean on ours till you find your own. And God bless. <laughs>